1: Erlon, I will never forget it.
2: Ear Hustle, stories
0: about life on the inside told by those who live it.
1: Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your
2: podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program.
0: It looks like the reports of my political death have been greatly exaggerated. We took our campaign to voters who normally don't support Republicans.
2: Governor Brian Kemp has won his re-election bid after defeating Democratic challenger Stacey Abrams and Libertarian challenger Shane Hazel. We'll discuss how Kemp cruised to victory. Also, it appears a runoff will happen for Georgia's U.S. Senate seat and what it means in the fight for power in Congress. All that and so much more as we recap the midterm elections, of course, with our political contributors, Fred Hicks and Julianne Thompson. Also this hour. So she didn't, you know, she died without holding a grudge against the
3: school. And I think that that within itself is phenomenal. I can't say that, you know, I would feel the same way.
2: Finally, it is long overdue for three black women denied entry into Georgia State University back in 1956 when it was actually Georgia State College of Business Administration. Myra Payne Elliott, Barbara Pace Hunt, and Iris May Welch applied to attend the Georgia State College of Business Administration. They were denied, so they sued, they won, but they were still denied. Well, Yesterday, the University System of Georgia's Board of Regents unanimously approved honorary degrees for those three women. We'll revisit a conversation with Crystal Freeman, the daughter of Barbara Hunt. Now, all that's just ahead, but first this. It was a sweep of statewide office races for Georgia's Republicans last night. We'll begin with WABE politics reporter Raul Bally and how incumbent Governor Brian Kemp's victory comes after a hard-fought campaign.
1: Governor Kemp sounded a note of vindication during his victory speech specifically when it came to the reopening of Georgia during the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic.
0: At one point or another, the national media, Stacey Abrams, the healthcare pundits, far-left activists, liberal donors, presidents, both current and former, they all were attacking Georgia.
1: Kemp's victories over Abrams and a Republican primary challenger backed by former President Donald Trump will likely lead to a higher profile nationally and more conversations about Kemp's future beyond being governor.
0: Raul Bally, WABE News. Kemp's victory over Democrat
2: Stacey Abrams marked the end of their rematch. In an emotional speech, Abrams spoke to supporters at a hotel in downtown Atlanta, and after congratulating Kemp, she looked to the future.
1: I see in this crowd women and men who have been a part of this journey since I put my name on a ballot in 2006. And while I may not have crossed the finish line, that does not mean we will ever stop running for a better Georgia.
2: And that other race at the top of the ticket, the Georgia Senate race remains undetermined between former UGA football standout and Trump-backed Republican Herschel Walker and incumbent, incumbent De- Democrat Senator Raphael Warnock. And Sam Greenglass has that story. Herschel Walker's election night party wrapped up earlier in the evening. But just before 2 a.m. at a hotel ballroom in Atlanta, Raphael Warnock took the stage for a second and final update of the night.
4: I may be a, a, a little tired for now. But whether it's later tonight or tomorrow or four weeks from now, we will hear from the people of Georgia.
2: But what's already clear is that Walker underperformed his fellow Republican, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, likely in part because Walker's campaign was dogged by scandals from the start. If neither Walker nor Warnock wins 50% of the vote, the race will head to a runoff December 6th. Sam Gringlass, WABE News. Herschel Walker did speak to his supporters right before midnight.
4: So I want to tell y'all, if you can hang in, hang in there a little bit longer... Just hanging there a little bit longer
0: because something good, it takes a while for it to get better. And it's going to get better.
2: And as of right now, neither candidate has 50% of the vote. As for other members of Georgia's congressional delegation, Democrat Lucy McBath won Georgia's 7th congressional district in the northeast suburbs. That's where that is. As we hear from Shimon Cruz, McBath previously represented the 6th district.
1: McBath represented the 6th district for two terms. But the Republican controlled state legislature redrew the district, and that forced McBath to run in the seventh against incumbent Democrat Caroline Bordeaux in the primary. She won by a large margin over her Republican candidate, Mark Gonsalves. One of McBath's main issues has consistently been gun control and safety measures. Her son was fatally shot in 2012 shemaine cruz wabe news
2: and our apologies that is shemaine cruz and welcome to our wabe news team now controversial georgia republican marjorie taylor green was reelected to the house of representatives alex helmick has that Green has embraced
1: conspiracy theories, made threats against other members of Congress and refused to accept the results of the 2020 election. She's also recently called for the U.S. to cut aid to Ukraine. Green's actions led her to being stripped of her committee assignments last year in the House. But her Northwest Georgia district is a Republican stronghold. And after winning her primary, she was a heavy favorite in the general election. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has said if Republicans retake the chamber, Green would be allowed back on her committees. Alex Helmick, WABE News.
2: Well, it was a big night for other incumbents. For the Democrats, Congresswoman nakima Williams, Congressman Hank Johnson, David Scott, no relation, and Sanford Bishop, they all won. For the Republicans, Buddy Carter, Drew Ferguson, Austin Scott. Also no relation, Andrew Clyde, Barry Lautermick Rick Allen. Yes, they all won, too. And the Republicans gained a seat in the House with Rich McCormick's victory in the newly redrawn 6th Congressional District. Now, back to those statewide offices. Republican Richard Woods has in, in, earned a third term as state school superintendent, and Martha Dalton has those details.
1: Woods defeated Democratic challenger Alicia Thomas Searcy to keep his seat. The Georgia Association of Educators endorsed Woods in the race, citing his background as a classroom teacher. Searcy served as a state lawmaker and ran a group of charter schools. While in the legislature, she supported some bills Democrats didn't like. They include a tax credit scholarship program and a proposed charter schools expansion. Woods ran on a record of supporting pay increases for teachers and reducing the number of tests required in schools. He has said during a third term, He'll focus on issues like school safety and updating the state school funding formula. Martha Dalton, WABE News. Republican
2: incumbent Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger was also reelected. He defeated Democrat B. Wynn by nearly 10 points, taking 53 percent of the vote. The Republican rebuffed former President Donald Trump's effort to overturn the 2020 election results in this state. It was Raffensperger on the other end of that now infamous call from Trump asking him to find the votes to overturn the state's presidential election results. Also, Tyler Harper will be Georgia's next agriculture commissioner. Now the Republican from South Georgia, who's also a farmer, has served as a state senator since 2013. And as you know, agriculture is Georgia's largest industry. The State Department of Agriculture administers grants, regulates meat processing plants, and runs the Georgia Grown Program that supports local food. Harper defeated Democrat Nikita Hemingway. The previous commissioner, Gary Black, didn't run for re-election. Instead, he was choosing to run for U.S. Senate. Now, when we come back, it's a breakdown of Georgia's midterm elections. This is Closer Look.
0: Support for WABE comes from The Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at CF.
5: Let us help you get to where you need to be this holiday season. Did you mean to give in the member drive, but never quite got around to it? You still can. And when you do, you'll be entered into our Home for the Holidays giveaway. It's a $1,500 travel gift card that will help you get on the road or on the runway. Your gift is welcome at wabe.org slash donate. Thank you.
2: Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Republican Governor Brian Kemp made it clear to his base of supporters that his re-election was made possible by garnering new supporters.
0: We took our campaign to voters who normally don't support Republicans because no matter where you live or what neighborhood you are from, hard-working Georgians want their families safe, their streets safe, and they want good-paying jobs, and a quality education for their children.
2: During his victory speech, Kemp emphasized his ability to hold off Democratic challenger Stacey Abrams.
0: And we all know that my opponent disagreed. But looking at the results tonight, we made sure that Stacey Abrams is not going to be our governor or your next president.
2: As for the race at the top of the ticket, it appears a runoff will happen for Georgia's U.S. Senate seat. And so that means, well, what does it mean in the fight for power in Congress? Well, there's lots to get to. So let's welcome in our regular political contributors, Julianne Thompson, a Republican strategist and the president of Main Street Network Strategies. And the traitor, Fred Hicks, an Atlanta-based political strategist and demographer who was on another network last night. <laughs>
5: it wasn't a radio network, though. I don't care. Radio. No, actually,
2: we're fine with that. Congratulations to both of you. And, and Julian, you were on what? BBC? Okay canada network somewhere y'all are all over the place but that's okay did y'all mention but well, we're we're home now you're home yes you're home you yeah. can always come home uh julian <laughs> let's begin with you your overall reaction to the national results thus far we still have some races that need to be conclu- re- concluded in terms of whether it's a, a runoff or officially declared but just from the national uh, perspective the republicans didn't do bad but folks thought they would really really get a lot more than what we know so far
1: yeah, you know, I was looking back and, you know, I take notes at every time we we talk on your show. And I was looking back at my notes from the things that Fred and I have said over the past month. And I think both Fred and I were right because we agree a lot of the time we were right on target with the way things turned out last night. I think we both said um, we expected Republicans to take the House but not necessarily a red wave. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what happened. We both expected a runoff. Um, and we both thought that Georgia could once again be ground zero, which it was. Now, I'm not sure what Fred's breakdown was as far as uh, who would take which seats in the mm-hmm. Senate, but we, but we both needed that each each side needed uh, needed five seats to to take control of the Senate. And as of just a few minutes ago, on the latest the the latest results, mm-hmm. Democrats have taken Colorado, mm-hmm. most likely uh, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, and Arizona. Republicans have taken North Carolina, Ohio, Nevada, and Wisconsin, which I said on your last show that I thought would happen. Mm-hmm. Which leaves Georgia, and Georgia is ground zero and going to be making the decision for who takes control of the United States Senate. So it's going to be an interesting time between now and December and hundreds of millions of dollars and thousands of consultants and media descend. <laughs> right. Does that does that mean y'all gonna get paid? <laughs> <laughs>
2: or or folks like you, is that what you're saying? Because I can't have you on the show if you're working with Warnock or Walker. But you know what? Get get your ends if that's what y'all need to do. Uh Fred, uh, over your reaction to, to, so far with the national results.
5: Yeah, so as Julianne mentioned, you know, the, the Senate went as we thought it might. The the one surprise to a lot of people I think was Pennsylvania that mm-hmm. wasn't a surprise to me. Um so when we look at the national map basically both sides held serve so julian gave a great breakdown uh, democrats already had uh, already had arizona uh, the one flip for each side is Rep- republicans held pennsylvania previously so that was a flip and nevada flipped from democrat to republican so right now we're at a state of homeostasis which does everything holds as julian mentioned it's all going to come down to georgia for control of the of the uh, the chamber and so you know that is going to that sets the stage for Uh, Some people might say a miserable holiday season because the election is December 6th, which means it expands Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. But it also is going to to use a colloquial phrase. It's going to kill all the noise that surrounded yesterday's election, Mm -hmm. uh, both locally and nationally. And people will be able to focus and directly on uh, on Herschel Walker and Senator Warnock. And I think that's favorite Senator Warnock, to be honest with you.
2: So. Let's stop right there and focus on this money, as, as Julian mentioned, and you, Fred, you're, you're always counting the money here, because if <laughs> we're talking about then the strategy, look, I don't know about you all, but we, we we get all the emails too, and every 22 minutes, every 18 minutes, it's from the campaigns, hey, we need you, donate here, right. we need you, we need you, does that mean we're going to continue to see that? And how much money do you think yeah. it takes then Fred, because this is kind of your area and Juliana, you can jump in there too. How much money much more money do you think will it take we'll see coming into Georgia here?
5: Well, you know, for our newer listeners, when we went through this two years ago, we talked about a billion dollar runoff with a B and last count was right around nine hundred eighty, nine hundred and ninety million for that runoff. Uh but that was a longer period, so I don't think we'll see that uh this runoff again is December 6th instead of January 5th mm-hmm. so you don't have a two-month run uh, but that being said I still think you're looking at probably 250 500 in what we call hard, um or well, in money so you have hard money again that's money that goes to the campaign directly mm-hmm. then you have the soft money and that's money that the committee so paid for by the committee to save our children you know mm-hmm. that 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 committee right and so that committee spends more the soft money tends to be greater than the hard money because there are not caps on that, mm-hmm. but that also that it's also more expensive to run that uh, because you don't get the political ad rates when you're running from soft money. So we're talking about, I mean, it's gonna be hard to tell, tell right now, but I think you're easily looking at two fifty to five hundred million, um, and that's not a reflection of, of lack of interest. It's two things. Number one. You don't have as long of a time period as we did mm-hmm. last time, and then the second. Secondly, last time you had two senate races on the ballot, and this time you're only going to have one. Although, albeit one very, very important one, but I think I, I could see between hard and soft money. I, I really could see 500 million uh, being spent on this,
1: what? between both sides.
2: 500 million. Wow, Julian, you agree with that? We're going to see a lot of money coming into Georgia.
1: I absolutely agree. 500 million was the number that I was going to say. Um, absolutely, it's going to happen. We're talking about a a race here in Georgia that is going to turn going to determine control of the United States Senate. So there's going to be a lot of money that comes in, and as Fred said, some of it will be hard money, some will be soft. But but we're definitely looking probably at around 500 million dollars, which is just a massive amount of money. <laughs> no, let me stay with you. Is it the same strategy if you're the Walker camp here? I, I think so. Um, I, I think that they've done a good job at staying on message when it comes to the economy. Um, I'm not sure that going into the runoff that I, I think that <laughs> you have to be careful about the way that I say this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that they really need to focus on the economy and they really need to focus on Herschel Walker as an individual and how he is going to vote and not necessarily the relationship with Donald Trump. I think if we saw anything last night, although Donald Trump didn't necessarily have a bad night with his endorsements, I, I think what last night has told us is that the future of the Republican Party you know, we've seen the future of the Republican Party and its initials are RRD. And you could see that not only from Ron DeSantis' win, but also from the fact that he endured a lot of uh, threats and insults from the former president over the past couple of days. Obviously, there is some, some worry and some insecurity there when it comes to a DeSantis run in 2024. So I think that the Walker campaign has to be uh, very careful the way that they package the candidate in the runoff to make sure that we're focused on the the issues and what Herschel Walker brings to the table, which I think they did a good mm-hmm. job of in, in the general. Fred, you had
2: said before that perhaps the Democrat strategy of trying to if they were going to try to home in on on the issues with Herschel Walker's alleged uh, as it relates to abortions and domestic violence. But you said, look, it is, as long as his the Republican, the R, was behind his name, that would carry him. It's now appear, appears to carry to a runoff. What is the strategy then for the Democrats? Can you, you still keep hammering on that or do you try to focus yeah. on something else?
5: so i hope that the republicans deploy julianne's strategy because of that she outlined and it's not an attack on my, on my friend here but i think that that would lead to uh, an even bigger victory for senator warnock let's talk a little bit about what happened last night i think there are two things as it relates to the senate race number one you know democrats lost every statewide um, race mm-hmm. except for this one and i think that's very telling that not only did did um The senator were not going to a runoff. He he, at least as of last vote count, was ahead of Herschel Walker. And so I think that's that's a real strong statement um, and a testament to his strength as a candidate, the strength of the campaign, and the strength of his strength as a person. And beyond just George, if you look at what happened in the southeast, Julian just mentioned Florida. I mean, remember two four years ago. The Democrats lost Florida by 32,000 in the governor's race and only what, half of that in the Senate race. And now you see that in Florida, I mean, you talk about 17-point wins. So mm-hmm. Senator Warnock uh, is the shining star for the Democratic Party in the entire southeastern region of the United States, if you look at what happened last night. But, but at the same time, if you also look at what happened yesterday, uh, Senator Warnock had a lot of room to grow. Mm-hmm. The inner five counties, the Democratic areas of uh, Southwest Atlanta, Clayton, the cab; those areas underperformed. Uh, they didn't get the number of votes they needed to get out of there. Uh, I think it's probably a function of not, you know, uh, of some of the things they they could have done different and should have done different. I think and hope they will do different that go around. But he had more space. He had more room to grow mm-hmm. uh, last night. He so, he the, so clearly he's a strong candidate. But B, uh, there's room to grow. And then we're throwing one, one other thing there. I don't think that the Georgia Republicans are going to have a choice when it comes to Donald Trump. He's said to announce next week. And with that, that's going to make this a fundamentally different election because he is putting himself on the ballot.
2: Well, and that's interesting. And I, and I want to go ahead and, and just jump to a cut. We were going to actually play it a little bit later, but we had Devin Barrington Ward on last night. He was a Democrat, progressive, but Democrat, but more progressive. Here's what he said about the, the whole Donald Trump and then some other things he said. So A couple of things. One,
5: um, when we do tomorrow and we see that this is in a a runoff, will Republicans pressure Donald Trump not to show up or will they pressure him to show up? (laughs) I think the other thing is on the Democratic side, Leader Abrams has been viewed as the de facto kind of leader of the Democrats. And if she is not successful in her efforts, who will pick up that mantle? Will it be Senator Warnock or some other
0: Democrat? Yeah, they have a
5: deeper bench than they used to.
4: Absolutely.
2: All right. Now, I want to focus on what Devin said in the first part of that is that, look, if indeed Donald Trump does make this announcement, if you are Georgia Republicans, Julian, what do you what do you advise them? Do you accept, hey, I want to come to
1: Georgia? Or do you say, you know what, D.T., hold off? (laughs) Well, um, I don't think that the former president necessarily is going to take anybody's advice on whether or not he comes to (laughs) Georgia. going to make that decision on his own um I I was glad that he held off until after the midterms to announce and I really wish he would hold off until after the runoff but he's going to make that decision as well I can't speak to what the Republican Party is going to do in Georgia or what they're going to say about it or what the RNC is going to say about it Mm -hmm. Um, but I but I do think that the twenty twenty four election um is is definitely going to be one to watch. And it's not going to just be Donald Trump decides to run and all the other Republicans go home and, and, and support, you know, mm-hmm. him and his candidacy. I I think we're looking at, you know, anywhere between four and eight candidates running wow. on the Republican side.
2: Well, let's talk about Georgia. Oh, go ahead, Fred. Well, um, I want to say something that's
5: interesting. You know, uh, she mentioned the future of the party. Julianne mentioned the future of the party's initials of RD. But I think that uh, if the governor, if Governor Kemp wanted to, he really could make a strong case to the national donor base. Number one, you look at his, the donations to his leadership committee. He really expanded his network this year and to uh, Rod DeSantis, Trump-type donors. But then beyond that, he can make a statement that no one else in, in, in the entire country can make. And that That is that he... Took on and defeated Donald Trump mm-hmm. and Stacey Abrams in the same year, and so he can paint himself in whatever way he wants, whether it's a a moderate, arch conservative, a moderate right, far right. But his claim in that he defeated David Perdue, seventy three twenty seven, with the president, former president being there, you know, doing everything he could to 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 take him under, um, and then now uh, beating Stacey Abrams, to me, to me. Uh, that he he is in the driver's seat in terms of if I were a Republican and I were looking at, at the face of the party someone who who has a, a proven track record of deliverables someone who has is, has shown that he's able to get some crossover vote at least racially speaking um and someone who has the ability to you know keep conservative principles in place and win big I mean to me that's Brian Kemp I mean Florida's are you mess. saying the Brian Florida Kemp my, are
2: you saying the Republicans should look at Brian Kemp for 2024?
5: I absolutely think they should. I absolutely think they should. Just given based on based on his performance. We've got to remember he wasn't supposed to, to be even be the nominee in twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. That was supposed to be Casey Cagle or Hunter Hill or someone like that, right? But he ran a brilliant campaign and he made it into the runoff and then won the runoff. Then he barely won in 2018 and he expanded that. We had basically the same number of votes, 3.93 last time and 3.92 this time. And his vote share went from his vote share went up, and he was able to take Stacey Abrams' vote share down while dealing with Donald Trump. That's
2: impressive.
1: Julianne, what do you make of that? No, I don't disagree with anything that Fred said. The the big difference in what I'm talking about versus what he's talking about is the fact that Ron DeSantis has made it very clear that he is going to run for president. Mm -hmm. And so have some other candidates like Nikki Haley, uh, possibly Senator Tim Scott, who honestly is Mm -hmm. is probably one of my absolute favorite candidates, um, potential candidates for Republicans. I think he's fantastic and he would be extremely hard to beat. Um, But, you know, he's also not really come out and said what he's going to do. He has an extremely bright future. Brian Kemp, if he decided to do this, which he has not talked about and why I have not mentioned him. um, If he decided to do it, Fred is right. He could be packaged um, according to his successes here in Georgia. And according to uh, his campaign success with both his gubernatorial races and and the way that he kept the state open during COVID, and and just the the fact that he has appealed to people across the board, and appealed to a lot of uh, rural Georgians and Mm -hmm. farmers, and I think he could bring a lot of votes home to Republicans that are not necessarily there right now. So I think he would be a great candidate. I agree with Fred.
2: In terms of the demographics you all have talked about, and then Governor Kemp actually mentioned it in his victory speech, in terms of we reached out, we reached to other Georgians who normally might not not have voted for Republicans. Listen, in terms of demographics, we also, it appears now from some early data that the Latino and Hispanic demographic might have been a split, 50-50, voting for Kemp. What do you make of that, Fred?
5: Uh, that's pretty much what I thought going into it. Uh, you know, the minorities, as a general rule of thumb, tend to be more conservative than people think that we are. Um, and so I didn't, I, I wasn't surprised by that. I think also there was a lot of effort On the part of the republicans to reach out not just to black voters but to hispanic voters with a message around economic security uh and support for small businesses and the hispanic and well asian asian american hispanic and african-american communities have a strong streak of entrepreneurship through there and so i think that really spoke to to uh to issues and and um i think the democrats The fact that they actually made a real big effort in the Hispanic community, um, I think that Democrats can take heart that it was only a 50-50 split, Mm -hmm. because I think it, it very well could have gone hard in the other direction.
2: Well, Fred, I want to talk about 2018 Stacey Abrams versus 2022 Stacey Abrams. I'd heard some folks say it wasn't the same electrifying Stacey Abrams from 2018. What happened?
5: Well, she had a different opponent for sure. Um, you know, Brian Kemp, Governor Kemp had a track record as opposed to what we thought he was going to do. But aside from that, I think that there were a lot of missed opportunities. Um, I thought at the time that it was a mistake for her to announce, certainly after the mayor, I think it was the day after the uh, Mayor Dickens won, that kind of rubbed people the wrong way. So it was a lot of little things that Uh, led to sort of a death by a thousand cuts so to speak so just a lot of things here and there the picture inside uh at the decatur school where all the kids had on masks and she didn't um but then i think also you think that was you think that that a a bunch of little things a bunch of little things added up Uh, in terms of the big stuff um you know the governor made a big point of talking about him having 107 sheriffs endorsing him and she didn't have any I i don't understand why the campaign did not go after local endorsers, um, you know, whether you're talking about shares, commission shares, commissioners and all that, we never saw the campaign roll that out and and the governor made heavy use of that and it was a bad, it was bad optically. Um, you know, I think that, well, this is something we will we, we'll certainly continue talking about, but I do think there were a lot of missed opportunities and broadly speaking, let me say this, Democrats are going to have to really work on messaging. Mm-hmm. Republicans have a great, simple way of communicating with voters, and you know, uh, Democrats just we, we we really struggle with that. And I think that was again in, in the case of the Abrams campaign. I mean, there's a lot to say. There's a lot to think about with that. But I think um, ultimately, again, you know, there were some, there were, there were a lot of little misses, and then on the messaging side of it, again, it was I think it was just way too complicated. Um, and complex. Whereas and the
2: Republicans just honed in on the economy and the inflation and telling folks, and I said this last night in our election special, look in your wallets, look in your pocketbooks. That's what we're talking about, whether you agree with it or not. But that's the message that they there were some other issues, but they all the Republicans throughout the nation, they were driving that message home.
5: Absolutely. You know, I traveled a lot during this election cycle. I was in L.A. this past weekend. I was home in Florida a lot. And it was interesting to see the uniformity of the messaging uh, they talked a lot about transgender kids, right? So they made so yeah. They had a dual uh, message of economic matters and you're lo- we're losing our country, mm-hmm. you know, to the liberals on the the very visible, tangible thing. I saw a commercial down there with was with a seat in Florida um, that they were able to flip in the state senate, where you had Corey Simon, a former FSU player, talking mm-hmm. about that. So it was, it was really interesting.
2: And we just got about a couple of minutes left, Julian. I want to get your thoughts on this because in talking about. 2024 it may it's it's not too it's never ever too early um going looking at 2024 what do you think is going to happen between now and then will we see more will we see the republicans still trying or does it really depend on what happens now with congress because republicans say look we know we can pull some voters we haven't pulled in the past let's look at georgia and might they use that playbook throughout the nation
1: well, first of all, it's going to be a wild ride. There's absolutely no doubt about that when it comes to <laughs> primary, um, I just wanted to touch on something that Fred said a second ago about messaging and the uniformity of Republican messaging across the country, and the fact that we have talked about before that that Democrats really were not talking about economic issues except for people like Ryan and Shapiro, mm-hmm. who even who like if you watched anything on MSNBC last night, you saw uh, James Carville who came on there, who is just a veteran star campaign consultant for the Democrats who said our problem is messaging. We're way off and we're not talking about And candidates like Shapiro and like Ryan are. And that really needs to be the future of the Democratic Party. And It just doesn't, he said, no matter what we say, we just can't seem to hammer that home uh, to the Democrats who are in charge nationally right now. And so I am hoping that they continue down that same path and uh, 2024 because the unifying message of the Republicans um, when it comes to economic prosperity is gonna be what wins for us in 2024.
2: I like that. It's gonna be a wild ride. Just be a name put that on the shirt. Julianne Thompson, a Republican strategist and the president of Main Street Network Strategies, and also Fred Hicks, an Atlanta based political strategist and demographer. As always, good conversation, good analysis. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Get some rest. You both deserve it. Thank, Thank you. Closer Look continues here on 90.1 WABE. From Atlanta, I'm Rose Scott. More than 60 years ago, three black women, Barbara Pace Hunt, Iris May Welch, and Myra Payne Elliott, sued what is now Georgia State University after being denied admission because of their race. They won the case, but they were still denied. Well, this week, the University System of Georgia's Board of Regents announced these women, also known as the ground crew, will be awarded... Honorary degrees from Georgia State University. Now, Hunt and Welch will receive their degrees posthumously, while Elliot, now 90 years old, will receive her degree during the December commencement. We're going to revisit a conversation just a moment with the daughter of one of the women who sued GSU. But first, I'm going to go back and have a conversation with Maurice C. Daniels, Dean Emeritus and Professor Emeritus of the School of Social Work at the University of Georgia. When we spoke back in 2019 about his book, Ground Crew, The Fight to End Segregation at Georgia State, he talked about the arguments made in the historic case and where the, and where the, judge, the judge drew a line in his
4: ruling. The state was determined to maintain segregation, and they used every uh, measure that they could. Uh, Most of them were quite devious to try to block these students from uh, attending uh, not only Georgia State University, but the University of Georgia and other white colleges and universities. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their defense uh, was very weak, and um, that's why in this case, uh, the Uh, brilliant attorney, brilliant lawyering of Attorney Hollowell and Attorney Motley and other attorneys uh, prevail in um, persuading the judge uh, that the state's uh, defense of this system of segregation uh, was uh, literally uh, not to be continued.
2: Well, Dean, let's talk about the judge here, because this is Judge Boyd Sloan, correct?
4: That is, that is correct.
2: And and Judge Sloan, history will tell us had some was involved in some other rulings. Coming into this, what did you find in terms of were there concerns about Judge Sloan, and was it did some think this might be an automatic win for the plaintiffs here, or did the defendants think, well, you know what, we've got Judge Sloan, so maybe that's a win for us? Sort of what was their thinking going into this trial?
4: In my interview with. by that time, she was a federal judge, Federal Judge Constance Baker Motley. Uh, she said that the they were quite surprised uh, by the favorable ruling uh, mm-hmm. by uh, Judge Sloan. Uh, judge Sloan stepped up and honored his judicial responsibility and, and made the right decision. He is on the right side of history, mm-hmm. uh, so to speak, in regard to ruling uh, in favor of um, eliminating and declaring uh, unconstitutional the segregationist practices of uh, Georgia State and the Board of Regents.
2: Well, Dean, but there were also some limitations to this, his ruling, correct? Because from what we understand, I don't want to give too much away, but the plaintiffs weren't able to enroll as a result of the ruling.
4: That is indeed correct. Uh, The judge declared that the practices uh, uh, of the regents uh, and Georgia State were in fact unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. He did not go and take the next step and order the admission of the plaintiffs to Georgia State. He left that to the discretion of the university and the regents to do the right thing. Uh, Sadly, in the late 1950s, uh, whites who propped up the segregationist system were not inclined to do the right thing. Uh, two years later, uh, in the University of Georgia case, mm-hmm. and incidentally, the Georgia State case and as in many ways uh, paved the way uh, for the success in that case, the judge in that case, Federal Judge William Boodle, also declared that the University of Georgia uh, was in violation of the United States Constitution. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went one step further. Not only did he declare that uh, UGA Uh, UGA's practices at that time, segregationist practices, were unconstitutional. He also ordered the immediate admission of Charlene Hunter and Mm -hmm. Hamilton Holmes. He ruled on Friday and ordered their admission on that Monday, so he did not allow for the kind of discretion which Judge Sloan did.
2: Wow. That is Maurice C. Daniels, Dean Emeritus and Professor Emeritus of the School of Social Work at UGA and author of The Ground Crew, The Fight to End Segregation at Georgia State. All this comes as the University System of Georgia's Board of Regents now have approved honorary degrees this week from Myra Payne Elliott, Barbara Pace Hunt and Iris May Welch. These are the three black women who sued to desegregate what is now Georgia State University. And earlier this year, I spoke with Crystal Freeman, the daughter of Barbara Pace Hunt, about her mother's legacy. And we started by recalling her favorite memories of her mother.
3: One great memory I have is that she used to always say, if it's to be, it's up to me. Yeah. She used to say that all the time. If it's to be, it's up to me.
2: Can you recall when you first learned about your mother's role with these two other women in trying to, in ensuing to desegregate what was then, it was a different institution, but we call now Georgia State University. Can you recall the first time you you learned of her involvement in this?
3: Well, I learned about it re- actually uh, in high school. She, did, she didn't talk much about it prior to high school uh, when I was actually thinking about what school I wanted to attend um, after high school, that's when she started telling me about what she went through um, trying to get into college and her trials and tribulations of trying to get an education. And I just thought to myself, gosh, well, that's not a school that I will apply to. Really? If, if they treated you that way, that's that's not a school that I will apply to. And I just, you know, she said, no, 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 I've done research and it graduates the highest number of African-Americans mm-hmm. now. You shouldn't feel that way.
2: She told you that, but in the conversation or as you were learning of her role through your lens, how would you describe the the, the, the emotion behind still not being able to be admitted? despite the legal ruling, which we just heard from, uh, Dean Daniels there.
3: Right. Yes. She was very disappointed. Um, the things that she talked, talked to me about, uh, that she went through were terrible, just really, really terrible having, you know, having to move you know, my, my two sisters, um, from many places, uh, with the discrimination that was going on back in the '50s, uh, the way she was treated during the trial, um, just things that are unbelievable that she went through.
2: What did just, she? Well, I'm curious, and I think our listeners are too, Crystal. What did she talk about in terms of specifically in terms of the treatment and how she was treated during this during this whole ordeal and with the case? Did she get death threats? She got death threats.
3: Uh, She sent my sisters to my grandmother's house in Pennsylvania. Um, She was told to leave the state of Georgia or she'd be killed uh, by the Ku Klux Klan. Um, She was called out of her name, threatened, just several things. she was asked by Dr. King to, to go and apply at that school. She, he thought because of the, the the fairness of her skin that maybe just possibly they wouldn't even notice that she was African-American because she was so fair-skinned. That's how it all started. Um, but that simply wasn't the case. So they, they knew.
2: Crystal, did your mother ever talk about I don't want to use the term giving up, but did she ever talk about reaching a point where maybe she had some regrets or, or maybe, you know, she said, you know, maybe we just started Uh, to just drop it. Did, did she ever talk about that?
3: Never, never, not once. Um, she, she simply wasn't that type of person throughout her entire life for for whatever she, she did. She was never a quitter. Um, she, you know, she was the type of person, you know, with, with whatever she did, whatever she set out to do, mm-hmm. she had the type of determination, unlike anybody that I've ever met to this day. Um, I wish I possessed the same quality. <laughs> <laughs> I don't give up, but I don't, I, I don't um, if I could be half the person that she was, I, I, I'd be pretty good. But no, she never gave up. She, um, no, she was never a quitter.
2: As we heard in that piece, although in a sense they won, they were still denied entry.
3: Yes, ma'am. She was denied entry. But that's, you know, that's the dark side of the story. My mother went on to graduate with two master's degrees. And although it's a sad part of history the 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 good part is that she didn't give up she had such determination and she kept going and where you know one person might be sad and and be in a dark place to have nothing nice to say you know my mother told me not to give up and and when i you know told her that's a school that i would never apply to You know, she she just simply said, you know, she lived long enough to see that it graduated the highest number of African-Americans in all nationalities. So she didn't, you know, she died without holding a grudge against the school. And I think that that within itself is phenomenal. I can't say that, you know, I would feel the same way.
2: Hmm. Her relationship with the other two women, with with Minor uh, Myra Elliott, uh, wh- what was that like? Did she talk? Were they very close? Did they remain close after? You know, my mother didn't uh,
3: speak much about them. I think that their relationship was strictly uh, with the lawsuit. If they had a relationship outside of that, it wasn't one that she shared with me. Um, I do know that she was the main plaintiff. Mm-hmm. Um, of the lawsuit. But she didn't mention anything to me personally about a relationship outside of that.
2: And we should know that the other woman was Iris May Welch. You Mm -hmm. said that your mom didn't hold any grudges and you followed up. You didn't know if I could quite feel the same way. But is that perhaps because of what you knew your mother to be and when you how you described us to 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 the listeners when we first started this conversation, um that wasn't surprising to you that she did not hold a grudge when she look not just maybe maybe some will say well it's not fair against the university, but look, the death threats, KKK, all of that she would be she would be well within her right if she did. Oh
3: yeah, she would be well in her right. Um, yeah, I, I say that because any, you know, anything my mother did, she never, um, she never held a grudge about really anything, uh, growing up with her, you know, her working on different jobs, you know, she just was the type of person You know she was a live live and let live and you know a godly woman um she just didn't hold grudges she just she just didn't hold grudges i i just don't know anybody like her um she didn't have time for drama and you know, negativity. She just kept pursuing whatever it was that she was doing. She just always just kept plugging away.
2: Now I will say this because you are your mother's child because you were persistent. You, you lobbied, you advocated. You told Georgia state, look here, (laughs) y'all need to do something. Y'all need to do something to recognize what my mother and others did here. Well, it was a
3: struggle for me. Mm -hmm.
2: Um,
3: it, it was a 10-year struggle, and I will admit to you, I started out with wanting a tree planted, and I have still to this day not gotten a tree planted in my mother's name. So go figure. Well, Georgia,
2: figure. Georgia State has bought up a lot of property. There's definitely some room down there.
3: Well, I've been told by many people that there's not not enough room to plant a tree so I haven't given up though
2: who told you that may I ask
3: uh yes the 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 uh well would they have a new president but the former president told me
2: that Mark Becker yes well there's a new president so you can reach out to the new president and I think um no I don't know maybe you'll get a different result what do you want folks to know about your mother Barbara Hunt I would like people to to know that
3: she believed in an education and the importance of one that she never gave up on an education. And it's the one thing, if there was anything that my mother taught me is that it's the one thing that, that can't be taken away from you. You know, and I think it's something that this generation has just really lost and she was, she was a teacher. You know, my mother was a teacher. I don't know if people know that. Mm-hmm. And it's so important to have an education because it is the one thing that they can't take from us. And education equals power. And, you know, that, that's, that's something that I'd like for people to know that she believed in an education and the importance of it. And I just wish people, knew that about
2: her. Often when we talk about progress and we look to history, folks will say, well, then part of that is acknowledging and recognizing the injustices. And as you continue to fight for, even if it's just more than a tree, but definitely one would argue that your mother and the other two women deserve more than a tree. And then you make this connection that we know that Georgia State University does graduate the highest number of African-American students in the nation. Yes. Yes. What year did you lose your mother,
3: Crystal? I lost my mother in 2005. Yes, ma'am. 2005. It's been 17 years.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: And it doesn't seem like it's been that long, but it's been that long. And the reason that the reason why it's the tree is so significant is that my mother loved nature. Mm -hmm. You know, she loved trees and um, yeah. Not that anybody cares, but my mother loved trees.
2: I think a lot of people care. Thank you. I think a lot of people care. Crystal Freeman, the daughter of Barbara Hunt, one of three women who sued to desegregate what we now know is Georgia State University, but still we're denied entry. Crystal, thank you so much for sharing your mother's story. I really appreciate it. And thank look, if Georgia State won't give them a tree, we'll plant trees around here at Public Broadcast in Atlanta, WABE. I'll make sure of that. We got room for some trees. <laughs> thank you, Miss Scott. Thank you. And now Crystal's mom and the other two women will receive more than trees. They will receive honorary degrees Next month. By the way, Georgia State President this week said of these women, this is Georgia State President M. Brian Blake, quote, These courageous women changed the course of history and were each trailblazers in their own right. He goes on to say, We are deeply grateful to them and are honored to give them the recognition they so richly deserve. That is from Georgia State President M. Brian Blake. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razell, and Pat St. Clair. Our engineer for the day was Daniel Razell. He too rides a bike. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other, send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott.